And today, uh, we're going to look at Hosea, page 751 in my Bible again, if that helps you at all. Uh, get past Psalms and Daniel, and you'll get there eventually. But, but as you turn there, uh, have you had a, ever had a, a bad week, maybe a bad day, and then that turns into a bad week, and, and maybe, maybe three bad weeks or four? Well, if I'm a little honest today, most of our staff have kind of had that. Uh, we, we've had a variety of car issues, illnesses, all kinds of weird stuff happening over the last few weeks. And then all of a sudden, like at the, at the end of that, something amazing happens, unexpected, this, this great blessing, and you're like, okay, we can endure that again if it, when it happens, not if, when it happens again. Your faith is restored, you, you're at peace, uh, maybe you're jumping up and down with excitement. Well, the story of Hosea is kind of like that. It's moments of horrendous, bad behavior, attitude, and punishment. And then every now and then there's a little like this glimmer of hope and excitement about restoration and, and, and God's favor. And, and today, uh, we're going to get a glimpse at both of those. And that's kind of how our lives are too, that, that we're just like that. And that we have those moments of dismay and despair and, and truthfully consequence for our sin and, and those moments where we recognize and experience God's favor. And, and so if you found Hosea, uh, we're going to actually reread part of what we read last week and then move into a new section. So in Hosea chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 10 and read all the way through chapter 2 verse 4. It says this, Hosea 1.10. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. There's our moment of hope. And then chapter two begins. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. What, what great encouragement. And then the hammer drops. Verse two. Plead with your mother. Plead. For she is not my wife and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. Uh, the whole series is PG-13, if you didn't remember that from last week. 
So there's this great news at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, and then the bottom falls out. And God offers via Hosea uh, three great promises to the nation of Israel in this little short passage. He promises them uh, that we read last week that the northern kingdom is going to be scattered. That's Jezreel. God scatters. God sows. Jezreel. That, that the nation of Israel is going to be scattered. That's a promise. That's a promise that came true, actually. It happened. But then... His second promise is that there's going to be a day when the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, so numerous that you can't count them, sort of calling back to Genesis 22, to Genesis 32, when God promised Abraham that very thing. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be destroyed but then they will be like sand on the shore. And the third promise is they will be called children of the living God. In the same place where they were called not my people, God will gather them again. He will restore them and they will be children of the living God. They'll be reattached to the family tree, if you will. That They're now back a part of the family. The covenant is restored. He is to them again, I am. Remember last week he said, I'm no longer, I am to you. But there'll be that day of restoration where he will be, I am again. And they will enjoy the benefits of being the people of the covenant. They will experience the promise of being restored. They will have the land that God told them they would have. And this passage at the end of chapter, 10, after chapter 1 even points forward to the New Testament because that passage, that phrase, living God, might sound familiar to you because it's part of the greatest confession ever made in history, the greatest confession in history. Jesus is asking the disciples in Matthew 16, who do the people say I am? And they get all these crazy answers. And then he turns to them and says, who do you say I am? And Peter, in one of his moments of wisdom and spirit-filled answering, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the son of the living God. The nation of Israel had the promise of the faith of Abraham. Abraham, you and I are children of the living God because of Jesus, because he is the one who makes a way for you and me. And so here this great promise is for Hosea, for the nation of Israel. They'll be reunited as one people. They won't be divided any longer. They're no more, no more a divided kingdom. Judah and Israel will come together under one head, an ideal leader, the perfect leader, from the line of David, of course. Hosea mentions that. Isaiah mentions it. Amos, Micah, Old Testament. They're pointing to one ideal leader from the line of David. And what, hit, what might his name be? Jesus, thank you. So, excite, so much excitement today. <laughs> We're going to get to the PG-13 part in a minute, but let's get to the good part right now. 
Jesus be an everlasting throne. Israel will prosper again. They will flourish in the land of Jezreel. The, the literal translation when it says uh, they shall be gathered up, they shall go up from the land, literally means to sprout up out of the land like a plant, like wheat, like the azaleas in your flower bed. They just come up out of the land, like they will grow up out of them that they will establish in the valley of Jezreel, the place where God sows. And, and I know all of us are just so up on Old Testament history. Uh, we love to read all those history books in the Old Testament. But you might remember a young guy who was scared of his own shadow in the book of Judges. His name is Gideon. Gideon was hiding in the threshing floor and God called him out. He gathered up some men. He was hoping for thousands. God gave him a few hundred and he said, you're gonna defeat the Midianites. Gideon was like, no way. Prove yourself, God, and all this. And what do you know? God did exactly what he said. He defeated the Midianites. And you know where that happened? Take a guess. Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel. It's a place of victory and promise. And God is going to take his people into a place of victory. Because God will keep his promises. I said it last week. Say it again this week. God will keep his promises. And he promises us the title of co-heir with Christ, son and daughter of the living God. He promises us that when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. The nation of Israel led by Abraham had that faith of Abraham and they'd lost it in this moment. They were going their own way. They looked good on the outside. They were shiny, happy people, but their lives were corrupt and a wreck. They were divided. And God is telling them one day, you'll be back together. And he even shifts his attention for a moment to this select group at the beginning of chapter two, this select group of Israelites who've been restored, his, his children. And he calls them to proclaim to one another, right? To testify to one another, to, to give testimony of their restoration, of who they are. You are my people. You have received mercy. Proclaim to your brothers and sisters that your relationship with the Lord has been restored. That's our calling too as, as people of faith that we need to proclaim to one another the, the beauty of being a part of the family of God because we follow after Christ, the Son of the living God, making us adopted sons and daughters. We should be proclaiming all the time the glory and the blessing and the promise of being a part of the kingdom. That's what Hosea was telling his people. Those of you, proclaim, proclaim. You've been, you've been gathered again from being scattered. Proclaim to your brothers and sisters, you're God's people. 
The nation of Israel is unique in, in, in God's economy. And, and Hosea, as he writes here, even Moses, long before Hosea was around, he, he foresaw this, that, that God's mercy would continue to, to reign on Israel no matter what they did. That even when they were rebellious and they would run away and they would turn their backs on God and they would, they would be restored he, he would gather them again in Deuteronomy 30. Moses speaks of this. And if you look at the New Testament, you, you fast forward to Paul in Romans chapter 11. He says very similar thing that, that there's something unique about the nation of Israel and God's mercy will continue to be on the people of Israel. In this section here of chapter one at the beginning of chapter two of Hosea's it's a tremendous prophecy about the future of Israel and their restoration. The challenge is this restoration comes at a cost. <laughs> this restoration is going to come through punishment. And that's what we get in chapter 2. And I, I'm going to launch it today and we're going to finish up the fun time next week. But as you think about verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 2. It, it shifts from the nation of Israel to Hosea and his wife Gomer. Because Hosea and Gomer are the metaphor for the nation of Israel. They're the metaphor. And this relationship is symbolic of God's relationship with Israel. And so I want to share with you as, as maybe another unique way to listen and to hear these three little verses from an old Presbyterian pastor from decades and decades ago with a little bit of my words mixed in with his. So think about this way. If you're Hosea and your wife was committing adultery... It must have been a terrible shock to Hosea. It must have been a terrible shock. On that first night, he came home to Loami crying. And Jezreel and Lo-Ruhamah sitting silently, unfed at the table. Gomer was gone. Hosea had been told it was coming. He'd even known of Gomer's adulteries. And he'd asked the children to plead with their mother. To plead with their mother. After his own cries proved useless. But her departure was still a shock. And now, if not already shattered, Hosea's heart was utterly broken. What was he to do? What could he say to Gomer or do for her that he had not already said or done repeatedly? I want to remind you that this is a, an account of an unfaithful wife. And so what would you do if your spouse was unfaithful? If you were Hosea, what would you do? 
because her unfaithfulness is on full display. It's not like it's hidden in the corner. Everyone knows. Your kids are hungry. They're tired. They're neglected. You're tired. You're frustrated. The truth is most of us would give up. We we would just find the divorce lawyer and hope for the best. We might become bitter and angry, maybe even apathetic, like just throw our hands up and say whatever. And so as I wonder how Hosea feels as the, as the spouse, I wonder how God's emotions connect to this story. So if Hosea and Gomer are a metaphor for God and Israel, then what's the emotion that God has for his people who have been rebellious and looking good on the outside but corrupt on the inside, selfish, greedy, demanding, apathetic towards the things of God. I wonder how his emotion is in this moment. You know, the Greeks, the Greeks believed that the gods, little g, gods, didn't have emotion. And that's actually where we get our word apathy from because that's what they called the gods, apathetic. That's where we get our word apathy. But, but the one true God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe is not like that. Because he yearns for his people. He has compassion for his rebellious bride. He loves her. Shows mercy and grace. Even when it is not returned or demonstrated, he pursues. And so as this chapter begins... And Hosea is pleading with his own children. Can you imagine that? Asking your kids to talk to your spouse about unfaithfulness. He's asking them to join the fight to restore their mother. To call out her sin lest they suffer the same fate. So as I I read this and I look at how God sees us, it it presented a challenge, a challenge to us when it comes to sin and rebellion, that that you and I, as the people of God, as ambassadors for Christ, out of love, we should be pleading with those who are stuck in sin and asking, calling them to repent. Get out of sin. Come back. Be restored. Please, you're destroying yourself and you're destroying, in this case, a nation or in our case, you're destroying the church, the bride of Christ. Out of love, call people back from their sin. 
Plead with them to repent. That's what Hosea is doing, using his children, using every resource he has, not out of apathy, not out of anger and bitterness, but out of a desire to see restoration happen. Because I, I can't imagine asking a child to denounce his mother or father. That's a hard thing to imagine. To, to denounce their parent because of sin. It, it's hard, but it's necessary in this moment. Calling out sin is hard, but it's necessary. Hosea's proclamation that he's not the husband in this relationship any longer and she's no longer his wife points us to that covenant relationship that God had between Israel. That, that because of her activity, because of her sin and rebellion against the marriage, she had broken that. She had destroyed that. And Hosea is pleading to come back. The challenge is the nation of Israel was in the same spot because they, like us, I think sometimes, rested in their identity. We are Israelites. We're God's chosen people. Haven't you read their identity is the very thing that got them into trouble because they rested on that identity instead of resting on the promise of God and the covenant and the faith relationship they had. Perhaps we do the same thing. Oh, I'm a Christian. And so God's going to forgive me. Oh, by the way, he already has forgiven me. See? I know we would never say that publicly. But I've thought it, so I know you've thought it. Or we rest in the fact that, oh, I'm a member of X church, just happens to be First Baptist Friendswood for most of you. And so we rest on our identity in the very wrong thing, and that's what God is calling the nation of Israel back. It was the thing they needed to say, wait a second, it's not my label no, it's my faith. It's my faith. It's the covenant relationship that I didn't establish. I didn't make it happen. I had no part of it. No, my heavenly father established the covenant for the nation of Israel. And for us, our heavenly father established a new covenant for us. His name is Jesus. And he's the one that did it. God did it all. Even John the Baptist in the New Testament, he was talking to some folks and reminding them, some of these Israelites who had gotten a little, you know, high and mighty. He said, guys, look, God can call out the children of Abraham from rocks. He doesn't need you. And so where is our repentance where is our turning? Where is our coming back? Where is our calling to say, Lord, my, my identity is simply in Jesus, my faith. It's in you. Forgive me. 
when I've tried to go my own way, do my own thing, rest in my own strength, power, identity. Help me to come back. Let me call others to come back. And this final section here, verses three and four, whoo, this is, uh, this is interesting. It's a graphic approach to sin. Lest she be stripped naked. That's not an excitement of the marriage relationship. That, that's not honeymoon kind of stuff. No, that's the humiliation of being naked. That's being laid bare before others so that your sin is fully exposed. It's humiliation because that's what sin does. And like a barren wilderness, that's what she will be like. This is not an intimate moment between husband and wife. No, this is a reckoning because of sin. And, and these two verses about the nakedness and the parched land of the wilderness, they collide at the end of verse three. She will be parched. She will be naked. Her thirst will kill her. This naked woman will die in the wilderness. If we haven't gotten so excited today already, let me remind you that sin destroys you even when it makes you feel alive. Sin destroys us. It destroys us. It tears us apart. It strips us naked. It, it makes us thirsty for things that will never quench our thirst. And Hosea is graphically representing that here by using his wife as the illustration. And so this metaphor of Hosea and Gomer to represent the creator and his relationship with the people of Israel, those who at this point in their history have an illegitimate claim on a covenant relationship, They are no longer worthy of the title, the people of God. Their religious leaders, their political leaders, their entire culture has become a prostitute, selling herself to the world, forsaking her groom. We might call them the lost generation in Israelite history because they had lost all connection with what it meant to be a keeper of the covenant, to be a person who lived by faith, a, a person who desired to walk in step with their heavenly father. Their mother had taught them nothing but greed and selfishness and immorality and idolatry and rebellion. Yahweh, the husband, was left at home. Left at home.
And upon her children, I will also have no mercy. That's not a place that any of us want to be. And I look at Hosea in this Old Testament, and, and last week wasn't so fun. Today started out okay, but it went downhill quick. I mean, fast it goes downhill. Because sin is destructive. It will destroy you. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your church. It will destroy a community. And Hosea is giving us a very clear, graphic picture of what it means to live for yourself, to live with your way, and to not surrender to the blessing of being called a child of God. The nation of Israel gave that up willingly. They gave it away to have a, a privileged position with the creator of the universe and they turned their back on it. We do the same thing. We turn our back on Jesus Christ and say, I know better, I'm gonna do better. I want to enjoy this or I want to be happy or I want my way, whatever it is. We turn our back and we expect the blessing of God in return. And he's like the husband at home trying to feed the kids, wondering, what has she done? Please make sure you know that I'm not just picking on women here. It's the metaphor. I know somebody will email me. Men are rebellious too. Yes, I know, we're the worst, okay? This is a graphic reminder that who we are on our own doesn't matter. That, that we have an identity in Jesus Christ. And, and my identity and what I think of myself and who I portray myself as is simply a reflection of that identity. And so my prayer for us as individuals, for us as a church family, as us as believers in Jesus Christ, that our identity would be in Christ rather than our name, our location, our nationality, anything. And let me tell you, if you ever don't know this, I love the United States of America. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. I'm gonna be at the parade tomorrow and you need to be there too. It's tons of fun. Celebrate our freedom. But let me tell you something. Our identity is in Jesus Christ and we better run headlong to him if we wanna continue to experience victory and blessing because the moment we stop doing that is the moment we begin to be stripped bare. And God will not forsake us, but he'll let us go in our rebellion. And so let's be people who put our identity in Christ and celebrate the goodness and the blessing of what it means 
to be a son, a daughter of the living God. Let's celebrate that and let's see together when all of us put our identity in Christ, what great things he can do through us so that we don't have to experience the dismay, the heartache, the destruction, the scattering that the people of Israel had to experience. Let us be people who move forward in great things all the time because we surrender to him. That's my prayer for us. Will you pray with me?